What's up, everyone, and welcome to The Corporate Bartender. Finally, someone is saying it out loud. You can't know it all. As leaders, giving up our subject matter expertise and leaning into being good leaders is sometimes a terrifying proposition. If you've been there, fear not. We've got Wanda Wallace on the program to help sort us out. If you don't know Wanda, today is your lucky day. She's a coach, facilitator, keynote speaker, and is the author of the book, You Can't Know It All, Leading in the Age of Deep Expertise. We're going to learn about her approach to coaching, and she's going to help you and your folks shift your mindset. This conversation was awesome, and I think you're all going to dig it. So buckle up, TC Beers, grab your favorite cocktail, and let's get right on into it with Wanda Wallace on today's TCB. Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender, where we gather some of the best HR and people leaders to discuss what's happening on the people side of business. Now pull up a stool, belly up to the bar, and join us for The Corporate Bartender. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. Come on. Here we go. Take two. I'll give you a rim shot. There it is. Everybody laugh. Ha ha ha. Welcome, everybody. It's Wednesday. It's your favorite day and mine. It's Corporate Bartender Day. It's the 10th of May, 2023. Day two of severe weather alerts here in the Denver suburbs. Um, my old town uh, of Erie, Colorado last night got baseball size hail which was banana cakes. Um, and I've been, I've been just watching the radar all afternoon because there's a bunch of red cells down south of town. So batting down those hatches. Yeah, Ruby said I it was can... terrifying. You got it in Longmont too, didn't you, Ruby? Yeah, rough. Yeah, we were just getting ready to go to bed. Like, I mean, it was late already. And then it just, I was like, I'm going to open the windows because it's raining. It's so amazing. And then it was <laughs> terrifying. And it was hitting all the windows. It was scary. Yeah. Um, and I heard it lasted like 40, 45 minutes. It was like mm -hmm, a really atypical mm -hmm. hailstorm, giant mm -hmm. stones, long duration. Yeah. Well, and we just were under a tornado warning here at the office for the last 45 minutes. So I went walking around because we're in a glass building. Oh, oh, whoops. So, I, yeah, and people are figuring me out more and more. We can't. <laughs> I said, you you can move away from the windows or you can take out your camera. <laughs> right. Your choice. <laughs> Wanda, you'll learn that Laurel is a literalist and she will tell you exactly what she's thinking. And if she thinks you're doing something stupid, you'll know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love it. Today's going to be a fun day. We've got a guest, as you can see. We've got Wanda Wallace with us. She is the author of this book right here called You Can't Know It All, because you can't, Leading in the Age of Deep Expertise. So she's going to help us get out of our comfort zones and let help us put down our reliance on our subject matter expertise to make us better leaders. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. I ask every time because I'm supposed to and because more eggs here. <laughs> I'm a pain in the ass. Buy the book, this book right here, You, Me, We, we Why We Need a Friend. Uh, you, Me, We, Why We All Need a Friend at Work and How to Show Up is one. And if you already have one and you haven't, would you please write us a review on Amazon? Because apparently some magical thing happens when you cross that 100 review threshold. I stopped nagging Eric. <laughs> and we're creeping closely. Yeah, more I promised that she would stop nagging me once we got over 100. So please, please, I'll be your best friend. <laughs> Write us a review. Help us get to 100 so that I can get my life back. Awesome. <laughs> All right. We, we've got some upcoming guests. We've got Rhonda Osborne. She's a coach. She's got a framework called the Frustration to Freedom Framework. We're going to talk about that on May 31st. And uh, as Wanda and I were discussing in the green room, work gets in the way of stuff. So Alan Hunkins was going to join us a couple of weeks ago, and then we rescheduled for May 24th. And now he's going to be joining us sometime in July. We have yet to pick a date. It'll be one of the Wednesdays in July. We got other guests coming up too. We got a lot of stuff cooking for you. I'm excited about it. 
but I'm really excited to get into this conversation with Wanda. And like we always do, let's give her a good TCB welcome, shall we? <laughs> we always dance in our friends here at the bartenders. So Wanda, welcome. Thanks for being with us today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Well, we always start by wanting to learn a little bit about how you got here. Here we are. You're the best-selling author of this book. You've done some really interesting things in your past, and I don't want to I don't want to give up the secrets because I want to hear you tell the story because I imagine that when you were but a child, you didn't think, "I can't wait to grow up and be a leadership development expert." Because mm -hmm. I don't right. know anybody that did that, and if they told me that, I wouldn't believe them. So, how did you get here to be with us today? Tell us a little bit about your journey. Right. Uh, this is a long story. So let me see <laughs> if I can short circuit it to say the most important thing is from the time I was 16, I've had one question, and that is, how do people make sense of their world? So mm. that might tell you, I grew up like a lot of us in some chaotic neighborhoods and families and dichotomies. And how did anybody make sense of this was what I was always thinking about from age 16. So that has been a burning question. Now, I tried pursuing that question through the route of doing education. So I have a degree in teaching, decided that isn't a particularly an effective way. I came back to do a PhD in psychology got rather disillusioned about the field of psychology and oh what it was doing to help, at least from academic side, for help people make sense of the world. And by sheer accident, because a really good friend talked me into it, I discovered that the people trying to make the most sense of things are business leaders. Excellent. So okay. I moved from PhD in psychology into the business school. Um, so, so would you consider yeah. yourself a recovering academic? I mm -hmm. always say I'm a reformed academic. That is my standard <laughs> introduction. I care about the science, I care that we get some of it, but I care far more about the practical. So there we go. And it's been an interesting route. No way would I've ever said I was going to be an entrepreneur or a coach or a leadership specialist or a writer. And here we are. Yeah. In addition to the writing, you also host a radio show and a podcast. Yeah. Tell us about that. Out of the comfort zone. Um, out of the comfort zone is now in its 10th year. We do a show. Wow, you were podcasting before it was cool. <laughs> podcasting before it was cool then too, but um, I did it sure for fun just because it was part of a give back strategy to people around the world. And it's really cool to call strangers up like Eric and Lori and say, hey, I don't know you, but let's have a conversation for an hour about your life's work. <laughs> keep doing it because it's just great fun we have pretty good following on it so check us out out of the comfort zone and it's it's sort of the subject of the book that notion of what is it that you need to do to leave your expertise comfort zone behind and move into that space where you do not know it all it's what i call out of the comfort zone the big one where the imposter syndrome shows up and where yeah. confidence becomes an issue and, and, and all of you know what that story looks like. And that's what we talk about topics related to things you don't do well. Awesome. I love that. That's such a powerful illumination, right? That that's mm. to be expected if you're going to be a good leader. That's right. Yeah. Well, I say if you don't have the imposter syndrome, A, you've never pushed yourself to do something you haven't mastered, or B, you're obnoxiously arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the rest of us seem to, when we push ourselves to do new things, we're going to feel like an imposter for a while until you master it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I yeah. agree with you, Lori. We, we see that all the time. And we talked a little bit about this in the pre-show. You know, we spend a lot of time in the technology sector and folks who hunker down and get really good at doing a thing, they get really deep on a skill. Um, as a reward for that, a lot of them get promoted into management, into jobs that maybe they didn't even want, but it was the only way to move up in the organization. It was the only way to get a promotion or get that raise or, or whatever. Um, and those folks, because what got them here was the only thing they know, they don't know how to put it down and, and, and get them to the next level. Um, you talk about in the book, the concepts of E leaders and S leaders. Can you tell us a little bit about what that concept is and, and how yeah. that might relate? 
Yeah, I'm going to, I'm on a mission to change the language a little bit. So I know that all of you talk about an individual contributor and you talk about a manager of individuals and then you talk about a manager of managers and a manager of functions. And that's a sort of standard language that most HR professionals use. And I use that too for a really long time, except none of my clients fit that model. So I had clients who were, you know, did a lot of work in professional services and a bunch of other places, but deep, deep, deep experts. I remember working with one of the oil and gas companies, and these are people who are band D and E, if you know the language, and they're still deep technical experts, one of five people around the world who know what drilling bit to use on X, Y, and Z. They run massive budgets. They have big teams underneath them, but their calling card is their expertise. Right. And now what's next for them? Like, you know, anybody on their team brings them a problem and they understand micro detail, how to help that person work through it. Right. I I mean, I can give you chapter and chapter verse about how many times I see this and how senior some of those people are. Think um, chief engineer in a manufacturing company in the R&D side who will be reporting pretty senior up in the organization, sometimes as far as on the C-suite. And many companies love having that chief engineer who can answer any question the team brings to them. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's what I mean by an e-leader. Your calling card, your reason for being there, your credibility, people follow you because of your content knowledge. So if you're one of those people, is the expectation that you're good at all the relationship and managing stuff too? Nope. No. Nope. In fact, in my world, the um, many of those people do not fit any of our corporate models of what we would say mm. make for great leaders. So I often say we tolerate quirky personalities. And I, <laughs> I, I give you a story about this one, just to exemplify it. I was um, talking to the CEO of one of the investment banks and a uh, big name and I had been coaching somebody who reported to him and somebody else reported to him. And, you know, everybody was struggling with Pat, like mm-hmm. nobody was having a good time with Pat. And so I said to him out of the conversation, it's like, OK, off the record, give me the deal on Pat. I, I, I hear a lot. What's your take? And he said, I wouldn't have dinner with Pat if my life depended on it. <laughs> okay. I don't like Pat and I get the trouble that Pat creates, but right now Pat is our only expert in blank. And Mm. until that changes, we got to learn to kind of dance around Pat. Now roll Mm. forward three years later, Pat's no longer in the company. Shocker. Right. But that you see that all the time. We put up with quirkiness because we so overvalue the expertise. Right. We always quirky, say that, quirky is a generous term. Yeah, we, we like to say at Sky Team, we like to say someone's misunderstood genius is another person's brilliant jerk. That's a more bare quote right there. Good quote. Yeah. I'll stay on the generous side, but I'd agree with you on that. Ridiculously obnoxious on places. And I'm sure you all see it in yeah. your organizations. But the truth is that expertise is so valued. And we'll put coaches on and we'll do a whole bunch of stuff. But all of those people have learned to lead because of their expertise. They've learned to solve problems because of their expertise. And that's how they think. That's how they work. Getting them to transform where they give up this thing that has been their credibility and learn to lead when something that they don't know about is, well, nearly an act of God. And I see so many careers, particularly careers of women, that stall at that point. Mm -hmm. So you've gotten your expertise. You're really good at your expertise. You're seen as a super doer, super executor, solve any problem, go everything. But you're not seen as the person who can take the broader role where Mm -hmm. you don't know all the details, can't dig deeply, can't do it yourself. You've got to span domains and trust other people to do, to give you solutions and ideas. And that is where people struggle. And, and so that's, what I mean. so that's an, that's an S, right? S is for span, for spanning S leaders. S is for spanning leader. And, and then, I think women get in their own way in that regard, where they look at a role and say, well, I don't know how to do everything on that list of responsibility. So I'm not even going to go for it. 
Whereas men typically have the mindset of I can do four out of eight of those things. So I, read about I can that totally one, wing it the rest of the way. <laughs> and you know, that that's, that's one of the things I've heard so many times in kind of audiences of, of women and, and just like, you know, stop, stop with the limiting beliefs. Right. right? Yeah. I say back, Lori, if you know, 90% of the job, there's no growth. That's great. Yeah. So why would you ever take a job where in a year there's nothing left to learn? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just craziness. So Mm -hmm. I always think that you should know 60% at most because otherwise it's a stretch. And men are better at taking that stretch. Now, not all men, let me be clear. Some men are better and we can help everybody take that stress. That's what the book is about. You can all get out of your comfort zone and take that stretch. And here's what the process looks like. Nice. So we've got we've got expert leaders and spanning leaders. Um, and the book is chock full of tools and spreadsheets and checklists and things that you can do to help move through this. But it starts with the idea of three core questions that you can ask to get out of your comfort zone. What are those questions? Yeah, and they have to go in order because you can't do the third one until you do the first one. So the first one, as an expert leader, I know what my value is because I have the answer. And I know when I go home at the end of the day, what the company can't do without me, or at least some version of that, some close version of that. As an S leader, the fundamentally difficult question to ask is what's my value? Like, why do you need me? Why am I not going to be on the riff list? Um, I'm becoming expendable is what I hear from people. So you have to understand your value and your value isn't the content. It's around things like the ability to tap your network to help your team get resources or information. It's ability to raise the visibility of your team. It's the ability to connect the dots for people so that they see how the pieces are integrated. There's a host of ways of doing it. And the simplest way to say it is you are not doing the work, but you are enabling the work. Mm-hmm. And often mm-hmm. via your networking, getting that done. So that's the first question. Get your head around okay. that one. Then we can move to the second question. So if you know what your value is, then you can begin to answer what's the work I'm doing because I can't do any of the work my team is doing. Mm -hmm. I may love doing the deal, but that isn't my job. Somebody else has now got to do it. So what's the job? Can you say that one more time? Just (laughs) just so it sinks in for people. (laughs) All right. What's What's the work I'm doing? What am I doing with my day? Because I can't do the job my team is doing. That's it. I got to leave them to do it. I may love that. I may love doing the legal contract. I may love doing the audit. I may love orchestrating the deal. But the moment I go back to that expertise spot, I've undermined my team. So, and I think people miss doing, and they miss that. They think I love doing it and I want to help. And yeah. it can come across as you don't trust me. Why yes. are you in my business? Right. Yes. And micromanaging and you won't yep. give me an opportunity and it's your way or no way. Mm-hmm. And every other problem you've yep. probably all heard in your life. Yep. All right. Now there's yep. a corollary to this question, by the way, especially as an expert leader where I'm used to controlling quality and risk. So and now what's the work I'm doing? Oh, and by the way, how do I know my team is doing a good job? Mm because I can't check up on it in the same way. So I have to have a mechanism. I can't totally throw quality out the door, but I got to figure out how I'm going to know that my team is doing an okay job. So what am I doing besides checking up on them? And how do I know they're doing the right stuff? Yeah. Okay. So when you answer that question, don't you just make them come into the office five days a week and you (laughs) stare at them? Well, yeah. We've heard that solution, but I would argue you will too, that you don't know they're doing the right work, even if you're sitting next to them the whole time, because you can't. I I can play video games at the office too. (laughs) I warned you, Wanda, Laurel's going to call it like she sees it always. (laughs) And if I'm suddenly managing IT and I know nothing about IT, how do I know that that programming thing is actually useful? I mean, I can't know. Not possible. So. You have to have mechanisms for it. Once I understand that, then I understand that my interactions with people now need to change. So my favorite way of saying this one is when I'm an expert 
and there's a debate or a conflict around something, I will lean on my expertise to resolve the conflict. What are the facts? What is the data? What is the experiment? You know, and I will hammer that home. When I'm not the expert, yes, I can tap somebody on my team to come in and talk about the facts, but that isn't where the conflict needs to get resolved at my level. I now have to interact with people on conflict in a completely different way. So anytime you hear somebody say you just do the facts, take the emotions out of it, I promise you that's an e-leader trying to still be an e-leader. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it, there's a whole host of ways because as an expert leader, I can kind of ignore the politics. I think it's why women choose to stay in their zone of expertise. You know, I don't have to promote myself. My work speaks for itself as an expert. But when I'm in that spanning space, all of that's different. I got to think about those dynamics. So so the three questions, run through them one more time, just so we, we have them. How do I add value? Number one. What's the work I'm supposed to be doing? Number two. And how am I interacting with people? How am I interacting with people? So you're, you're, putting, you're putting a lot of emphasis on the quality and depth of the relationships that you have as a leader. Yeah. which is near and dear to our hearts here at Sky Team. That's the lens we look through for everything that we do. Um, so I'm a fan. <laughs> um, sometimes it's hard to get people, especially deep technical experts, to accept the idea that the people stuff, well, that's all soft and fluffy. It's not the real work. We've got real work to do and... I am going to cut into my own credibility if I spend time on all this soft, fluffy stuff. <laughs> I should be sharpening my saw on the expertise layer. How do you get people to embrace that, to buy into the idea that you now are getting work done through people? So it's all about the relationships. That's the key variable in the, in the equation. Answer at the end of the day. Okay, I always say to people who say, I'm just going to live in my expertise. I'm going to just be a deep, deep, deep expert. And yes, I'll have teams of people reporting to me, but that's my sandbox and I don't want to leave it. And I say, great, that is a choice you can make in your career. Mm -hmm. But if you make that choice, don't be surprised that younger people leap over you and become your manager mm -hmm. and suddenly have seats at the strategic table that you don't have. Mm -hmm. If you're willing to place that bet and stay the technical engineer, cool. We need you. That's great. No surprises. But understand you're not going to have that big, you know, you're not going to have a seat at the table, basically. That's um, one of the reasons that where I lead the HR team at Cable Labs, um, we have a competency-based career track system, and we intentionally have a technical career path Right. that's separate from a leadership career path. And that is so that people who want to be deep technical experts don't have to move into leadership in order to advance in their career because we recognize that they don't want to do that job many times. And okay. so you can you can reach a level on the technical career path that is equivalent to a senior vice president without having that, right. that side of responsibility. And then we'll have some people that do both. Right. They're on the leadership career track, but they have a designation as a principal architect or a distinguished technologist because they also have that expertise and they want that you to want be recognized. Things. Great. Yeah. And I don't believe it's all spanning. Um, I believe it's a hybrid. I believe in a modern in, in a knowledge economy, the expertise is too valuable. So everybody is a blend, some of expertise yeah. and some spanning. It's just a question of how much. Lori, I know a lot of, so, you know, I may be stepping on toes. I'm taking a page from Laurel on this one. <laughs> Go for I it. I know a lot of clients that I work with, and I don't know Cable Labs, who have that professional track. Mm -hmm. But the professional track limits how far you're going to go at some point. So if you want to be in the discussions about the strategic path forward, mm -hmm. you're going to struggle to be in that conversation. It doesn't mean you won't get paid or recognized or valued. Right. You can get all that. Right. So and it all depends on the company and how you how you manage that as well. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, we're a fairly small company. We're about 250 people. And so our CEO um, has quarterly meetings with the distinguished technologists and the fellows to hear very directly from them what's going on in, in their world. 
as inputs, right. you know, That's for, right. for him. So we have the advantage of having a small enough group that, that, that kind of dynamic can be created. Cause you're right. If it's a huge organization and you're tucked away in a lab somewhere with your propeller twirling, <laughs> you may be completely out of touch with the, the vision of, you know, the strategy of the organization. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you so, struggle to have the impact you yeah. would like to yeah. have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned this just briefly uh, ago. Sometimes women and minorities will say, my work should speak for myself. And I'll just let that happen. And, and in the book, you, you refer to that as an expertise trap. So what, what does that mean? And, and how do those folks break out of that trap? Look, an expert leader can let their work speak for itself. So if I'm really deep compliance officer or risk officer, and I know, you know, every risk model that's functioning in the organization and the pros and cons of it and so on, my work will speak for itself. People will call me because they need me. Mm -hmm. And I don't actually have to go out and promote a whole heck of a lot because I get called. My I'm in a valuable spot and I'll get called. Same is true for legal. I mean, a whole bunch of same is true for HR in some ways. Um, it's when you want to move beyond that space that now you can't, you, you, you're reaching people who don't just use your work, that you have to begin to talk about more than your deep technical expertise. Mm-hmm. So how do you get comfortable with that? I don't even believe I can do this job. I've got my imposter syndrome firing <laughs> hard here. Um, how do I get into this shift where I need to get stuff done, but I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do the thing I used to, and I don't feel confident in the other stuff now. How do I get myself into that headspace? Well, I always advise people not to leap from the expert <laughs> banner overnight. Like, I, I just don't think you can do that. So you can start experimenting. And I always say, stay with your expertise job, but do some projects where you're not the expert volunteer for a charitable thing at the company, um, organize a team offsite, be part of one of the employee resource groups and organize something there. There are plenty of ways in which you get to stretch your muscle of leading without being the expert. And I always advise people to start there rather than just leap. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sometimes though, what I see more often than not is you've been working really, really hard for promotion and suddenly your peer leaves And so you have your team and we add your peers work to your team and bing, that's how we're going to get you a promotion. But you don't really know the depth about what the peer is doing. And now you're into, yes, half my job, I know the expert, I'm an expert on the other half, I'm not an expert on. And how am I now going to think about that job? And so I think when you're faced with that, Eric, it's like, I'm here, I want to do this, I got to do it. I need to elevate myself in doing it. So the motivation is there. It's just a matter of dealing with the anxiety. Am I going to fail? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're doing that and you're starting to build those muscles, you talk about in the book, the concept of leverage, right? So how do you create leverage so that I can start to shed my expert tasks to my folks on my team and delegate them? Yeah. Yeah. I have a big thing to say about this. Two things. One, <laughs> If you are not clear about how you're adding value and what your work is, then you're not going to be focused on the things where you uniquely can add the greatest value. So that's why those are the first two starting questions, because if you're clear what you need to be doing, then you're much clearer about what you don't need to be doing anymore. And in my experience, people need a lot of reminders. I was just coaching a CFO today. Same story. It's like, nope, you don't need to be doing that. Like, stop. (laughs) Somebody else can do it. It's just a constant, you know, away. All right. But then I think when we teach, when we say delegate, we should stop using that word. Because most people treat delegate like a ditch and dessert strategy. Here, it's yours. You do it. Good luck. I hope nothing goes wrong. And then something, of course, goes wrong. And then You either end up pulling it back and telling people what to do often in micro detail or doing it yourself because you can't trust anybody to do the job. And we ping pong back and forth. And that is not effective. just doesn't work. So I believe you should think about the task you want somebody to do. 
and then break that into, in your own mind, the subcomponents that have to happen. And then you sit down with a person that you're going to assign this task or this piece of work to, and you start with questions. I want you to do this report, Eric. It's going to the board. So it matters to me a great deal that it's 100% accurate and no typos and whatever other boundary conditions I want to put on it. But I want you to take the lead. All right. So talk to me about what you think you need to do, Eric. And you'd say, I got to collect this data, da, 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 da. And I would say, all right, you missed a step in there. So instead of saying you missed a step, let me tell you, <laughs> I will ask you. So Eric, what about this thing? So it's the asking of questions mm -hmm. that lets you generate an idea and me verify that's right. That's on track. That makes sense. And it gives a nice chunk of work that you, Eric, can now go off and do because you said, here's how I'm going to go do it. You're mm -hmm. not micromanaged there. And I can say, let's touch base on Friday. And I can touch base. I can make sure we're on track. It's fascinating. Lori, she keeps saying my name, so I'm paying real close attention because I'm feeling like <laughs> I did something wrong. Um, it's getting it's interesting. Out of that delegate process into leading with questions is really the fundamental principle. Well, and I, I love that because that process that you just walked through is a relationship developer, right? Of course. Because well, I got, I've got to learn to trust you as the person to whom I'm pushing work that I used to do, or that I think I know that I'm the subject matter expert on. I have to develop inherent level of trust to let that go Absolutely. right it's just like the 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 corollary question that you said to number two how do i know my team's doing a good job well i have to trust them and i have to get to that point by collecting data and validating that it's actually happening right absolutely so well, you, so how, how do you build that is, oh sorry sorry, yeah, sorry. So the secret of this the thing i'm describing to you is you don't lose touch with the data so if you got started and suddenly there were a bunch of errors in the data set you were using and we sat down on a Friday, I could take a quick look at that and know that there are some errors in there and I start asking you questions about it. So it's not like we're going to run into a month from now and go, oh my gosh, there's errors in the data. Um, you don't have to lose track, but you don't also have to micromanage. That's this. I think that's the beauty of the whole framework. All right. Yeah. How, how do you build trust, Eric? To move to your next question, Lori, did you want to say something? I just wanted to say by doing it through inquiry that way and allowing the person to, you know, come come with their thought process, it's also a way to kind of discover what level of critical thinking skills they have or what what kind of creativity are they bringing to it that that you didn't think of maybe they have all the bases covered on the nuts and bolts but maybe they've got a take on it that you maybe wouldn't have even thought of so rather than just like right here's here's the plan a through z do it exactly like this it opens up the door for them to bring what's unique about them and it helps you even just assess like oh okay so this person would be great on this kind of project too because of the way they approach these things so i like that and, and that that's such a huge trust building activity right to ask someone how would you approach this right yeah. let's just talk through this yeah um, so, Eric, you asked how to build the trust. One of the fundamental shifts from expert to spanning. As an expert, I will begin to trust you because you know what I know. You have the same quality standards that I have. You have some content knowledge that's very similar to mine. And I trust you because I've seen you do that level of detail work. Okay? And I don't really trust you much beyond that. Don't really need to trust you much beyond that. As a spanning leader, I can't build trust that way. Mm. It's much more relational trust. And every spanning leader I've ever spoken to says you begin by granting some degree of trust. Mm -hmm. There is no option other than giving it because if you don't give it, you are not going to get it back and you have no choice. You can't do it yourself. So you've got to grant some trust. And that becomes why it's so important if you can't get trust with your team quickly, like in the first six months, you got to start making changes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, it's funny, the whole idea of granting trust. I, I've worked with some leaders who say, you got to earn my trust. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, 
okay, but is that true in every facet of your life? And then I asked them the question, have you ever flown on a commercial airplane? <laughs> yes, of course, duh. So you interviewed the pilot then and checked out his certifications and current flight ratings? <laughs> no. So you trusted that the airline was going to do their job and get you to the place that you're trying to get to, or at least reasonably close, reasonably close to the time you want to get there? Well, yeah, but that's not really trust. <laughs> okay. Isn't it though? So you do grant trust. And, and even those most staunch of, of trust deniers, right? They do grant trust and it's getting them comfortable with the idea that you got to go first sometimes. You got to go first. Yeah. Well, I always say to people, I like your airline analogy. I'm going to steal that one from you, Eric. I always say to people, free. you want your team to trust you. Yeah. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Why would they trust you if you don't trust them? Right. Oh, snap. Boom. <laughs> I mean, come on though. Right. If I just, you, you just slammed me back into one of my old first individual contributor jobs where I didn't feel like they trusted me. So I didn't trust anything about the organization. Yeah. You know, I was 22 years old and I didn't know anything, but I knew I wasn't going to turn my back on you because I was afraid you're going to stick the knife in it or something. Right. So yeah, that's a big one. Well, as, go back as to a your leader. engagement survey questions. I always smile about this one when the question is, I trust management in the organization. Like, uh-huh. Yeah. Check. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure you got my IP address. So if I answer this wrong, you're going to come after me. Exactly. Oh Do you Look, all the HR right. people are laughing because they have dealt with that. I know you know. Because that, yeah. that's what we have time to do is track down your IP address so that I can criticize you the way you answered the survey. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right. Management doesn't trust me. So why would I trust them is the reverse direction. I want to take that one too. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I think I interrupted you there, Eric. No, no, no. This is this is all good stuff, you know, because I, I, I love the relational elements of all this because like I said, I'm a big fan. I'm a big believer. Um, so let me ask you a question about, you know, subject matter experts, technical leaders, folks who, who lean heavy into their expertise, who are just sort of coming into, to coming to grips with the notion of being a spanning leader. How do you step into that arena and have better conversations with people without jumping to your default and going to your expertise? How do you avoid that trap? Um, I believe you do a lot of listening first. Now you're going to say the same thing. There's nothing, no new magic in that one. But if you come with the notion, I, for me, it's gentle curiosity. If you come to any conversation with the notion of what is this other person thinking rather than what do I know and what am I going to tell? And no. the notion that I might have a slice of truth, but not the full pie. Oh, that's then so good. you're gonna, there's a better chance that a, you see something differently and you learn something and the other person feels welcomed and included. And they therefore listen to you. I think, I personally think one of the things that's killing collaboration in organizations, making it so impossible is that we bring a group of experts together and say, collaborate. <laughs> but experts come with their one worldview and they're convinced they've got the answer to the problem from their one worldview. That's what it mm -hmm. means to be an expert. So I've got now five different expert worldviews. It's going nowhere. Mm. Gentle curiosity is my answer there. I love that so much. And I watched Ruby write it down. I can't wait to hear it come out of her mouth in Tucson next week when yeah. we are there with the clients. She's going to say the phrase gentle curiosity and I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> so you can have the you can have the airline pilot story and we'll take gentle curiosity it's a it's a quid pro quo <laughs> i love it this is this is so good and and what i love about the book is it it sort of walks you through the process right so if you are looking to become this broader spanning leader there are tons of tools in here um but as a writer of a business book and a reader of hundreds of most of the business books that I started, <laughs> not all of them. Um, so here's a question I, I love to ask of authors. Look, it's a great book. 
not everybody's going to read all of it. Not everybody is willing to make that commitment. Um, if I'm listening to this right now and I learned of this book and I, I'm not going to go ahead and commit to all 210 pages of it. Wanda, what's the net net? What do I need to read in this book? First three chapters and quit okay. after that. <laughs> Real simple. You got the concept in the first three chapters. Pick and choose from there because there's a ton of exercises and it's all framed around the transitions you make from one to the other. So there's like 20 different transitions in there. You can't digest them. It's ridiculous. You wouldn't digest all of those. Read the first chapters. Something that appeals to you, go read that section. Mm. I love it. I have a, I have a question. Um, what, what have you seen organizations do around, whether it's formal or informal, um, mentorship programs or job rotation kinds of, of programs to help, <laughs> um, you know, kind of infuse this into the way an organization develops, yeah. right. In terms of progression and, and professional development, we, we talk about it in, you know, you have eye shaped individuals who are very deep in one place and depending on where they're headed you want t-shaped individuals they still have their core but they need to be competent to some degree across a greater span so have you seen companies put programs in place to help with that yeah um two things that i have seen one is old and no one's doing it anymore i think one company i know of is still doing it and they've scaled it way back you know, in the old days, we used to recruit people into some sort of a graduate scheme. The and rotational program. Six months rotation in different business units. The problem is they were too young mm -hmm. to actually understand uh -huh. the breadth that you were asking. They didn't have the depth yet that makes them credible at the end of the day. So we should be doing that more, except that by the time you get to be an expert, putting you in that rotational program is too costly. And that's that's what I've run into. It's like, but I don't, I don't have the luxury of, you know, the shell game here. <laughs> yeah. And especially yeah. in a company with your size, you don't have that luxury either because you still need people to be primarily their experts. For, for, the sure. Most part. for sure. All right. So one of my favorite other solutions, especially when you're working with more seasoned leaders, is to put them together on a project, uh, a topic um. That the CEO has identified as something the board will be discussing or should be discussing, you know, whatever. How do we get our share price up or how do we compare to our competitors on whatever? And you put a cross-functional team for whom no one is an expert in that thing with some support resources around it so that they have some access to expertise, mm -hmm. but they're required as a team to wrestle with the topic. Yeah. And to think at that enterprise level and to think outside their expertise, um, it's that's the single best thing I have seen happen. Nice. And But you got to put some resources behind it. You can't just say, here's a learning project. Good luck. Go ahead. It's got to matter. Somebody's got to be listening. They got to have has, it has to have a reason, not a yeah textbook yeah. exercise. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's great. Yeah, I like that. This is, that's the best thing I have seen. And you can do that in um, mid-level programs too by taking a future topic and sort of getting people to think farther out into the future. What would be the implications of this for us? Mm -hmm. Or to do a competitor analysis and say, what are the implications? Yeah. You, can, you can do those things in your yeah. classic programs that broaden we, out. A, bit. a few years ago, we had a advanced devel uh, leadership development group for people who had been identified as potential successors to executive level roles, people who wanted, right, are interested because right. we can't make that assumption. We have to, you know, even if they're a rock star, they may not want to aspire to those things. So this was a group who was invited and then they had to accept that. And so there was a lot of various elements to that leadership development program. But one of the core pieces was a project like this, where we asked them to do scenario planning, which, which is um, that sort of, you know, uh, strategic, futuristic, trying to put models together because we're a very highly technical engineering based organization. Um, but we work in this huge industry. And so it was, you know, what are, what are the risks that we could face supporting this industry as a nonprofit R and D organization? Right. right. And, and so, and it was supported by the executive team in that there were quarterly meetings where they had to come and report on 
where are you with this? They would get some feedback and then they maybe would go off and, and find some things. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, there were people who would step forward as leaders within that group for certain elements and other people who would do certain things. And so, you know, it, it was a big time commitment for them, but I think the output of it was a real product and they got to learn all of those different angles that they hadn't dealt with. Right. Anything that takes people out of their current silo and broadens their exposure, I think is a great, and I think it's hard to do. I mean, we often talk about rotational jobs or, you know, take a day and sit in another part of the organization. And those are lovely ideas. They're extraordinarily difficult to implement when you're at this expert leader already rank. Um, It's hard to do. I don't know about any of your companies, but I have clients, big, large clients where like financial services, where your specialty is so narrow, the thought that you would ever leave that specialty and go into another Mm -hmm. space is just an anathema. It's not going to happen. So the way to broaden is just, it gets, it gets hard. Mm -hmm. It's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Awesome. Well, I want to, I want to give a couple of minutes for folks to ask questions. I have one more thing, but I want to open it up to questions because I'm sure Ruby has a question. She always does. And, (laughs) and, and I've seen lady nod a bunch over there. So I want to give opportunities. What questions do you have for Wanda? Ruby go. (laughs) I was waiting for Jenny to go. Uh, I just, you know, I don't know that I have a specific question, um, but I'm thinking about, we, we coach highly technical leaders often. And and there's one that I'm thinking about now who's um, losing some resources already in the weeds, losing some resources um, and trying to get to that, a different place. I don't know that she's willing to let go of he or she is willing to let go of those, uh, <laughs> those, uh, that, um, what she does every day. So I'm trying to think of from a, from a coaching perspective, a pure coach right. perspective, what are those baby steps or, or what's your sort of line of thinking of what their arc might be in that coaching engagement? Right. Does that make right. sense? It does make a lot yeah. of sense. I yeah. would encourage you to start with some areas of expertise she needs to hang on to. Yeah. Because she's not going to be valuable without those today. Yeah. That is the yeah. calling card and that is her future insurance policy. Yeah. And then where can she step outside of that expertise? Either because she can delegate, she can push it down to the team or because there's an adjacent area she needs to now get involved in mm-hmm. and learning to move in that direction is where I would start or where the job has gotten to be too big for her. And she needs to elevate her presence in that part of the job without leaving her expertise behind. So think about it as how does she move to 20% spanning and stay 80% expertise? Yeah. And where are those targeted areas? Yeah. Cool. Thank you. That's my, that's my advice. That's where I would begin. Yeah. It seems like that would provide a nice safety net too, mm-hmm. right? Because it's that competency button too. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I don't want to give up all the stuff I'm good at and then flail around, right? So <laughs> right. here's here's a, here's a little nugget of comfort. Like, okay, it's the per yeah yeah. Like it's, it's the person it's that the has all the answers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Think about the parts of the job that she doesn't. I often say to people, you can do it, but you're too expensive to do it. Yes. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So how do you elevate her out of those or the ones that yeah. she's excited about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, I was Ruby. nodding because I loved, I just loved some of the, like the curiosity. I mean, I think asking mm-hmm. questions can get you so much further. You know, um, my grandma always used to tell me I asked too many questions and I'm like, it's really coming in handy these days, <laughs> uh, but it's disarming for people when you ask questions versus tell or, you know, educate or whatever. Um, but it all depends on how you ask Jenny, because I can ask questions and leave you feeling like I interrogated you yes. and I can ask questions. Or like, why would you do that? You know, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I'm struggling with a little bit is dealing with a culture that's not patient and not 
willing to give people the time to like, I loved what you said about, you know, the delegation and, and, um, you know, holding on to this piece and stepping away and, and having that conversation, like, how would you think through this and what would you do? And one of the struggles that I've had with leaders is they, they are not patient enough to have those conversations and they will not take the time to do them. And what do you do in those? And I, I know it's a tough question, so I don't know that you have the answer, but That's the first thing is to get them to the point where they understand that they're adding value by doing something else. Because this is why the question is so important. If you haven't gotten to something else is more impactful for my time, then you will never get them to step out of those details and to be patient. Mm, Like that. And that there's another place they need to be spending their energies that is much higher value add. Then they're willing to say, great, how do I do this? And they think it takes an enormous amount of time. It doesn't. I often say you can take the time to ask the questions or you can clean up the mess afterwards. Which way do you? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's amazing though how often they clean up the, they opt to clean up the mess because it's like now versus later, right? Or they try to- they don't do it. Sorry, Lori. The other reason I find they don't do it is because they do actually have to sit down and say what's involved in that task and get Define. their head organized. Yeah. So yeah. it's not the impatience with the person as much as it is yeah. their unwillingness to think for themselves. Sorry, Lori, I interrupted you. Yeah. No worries. I just, what I see are the the folks who it's, it's faster if I do it myself. It's easier yeah. if I yes. do it myself. I'll just, right. It takes too long to explain it. The, the time it would take to blah, blah, blah. And you do that times 20 and you're working right. 75 hours a week right. and you can't do anything well and you hate your life. So here's what I do with that one, Lori. I have people, you know, give me your, you know, write your salary down multiply by two and a half or three, whatever the running number is for how much it costs to keep you employed, benefits, office and computer and all that jazz, divide by some reasonable sane number of hours, you know, probably a little more than 40 and less than 80, hopefully somewhere in there. And tell me what an hour of your time costs the company. Yeah, right. Yeah. Now, that hour that you spent, is that worth it there? Right. Company resources, forget you, is it worth it? Yeah. And yes, your team member may take three times longer to do it, but they are less than a third the cost. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. It's just math. Yeah. Yes. And when you start thinking that way about company use of company resources. Yeah. That would appeal to people. certainly it's, to it's, the uh, C's of the disc styles. Yes. Yes, indeed. What have I been doing? These numbers don't make any sense. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Wanda, for being here. Um, I was going to get to something that Wanda's publicist sent me. It's this card deck that you only get if you go see her speak. Ooh. And you know me, I love a good card deck. We do takeaway cards at all of our events. And she's got these little cards that are thought starters uh, around what's your value, what are the things you need to do, and, and how do you build and develop relationships, and they're, they're fantastic. So if you have the opportunity to go see or speak, do so. Wanda, where can we find you when people hear this and they go, ooh, I need to learn more? Okay, you can find me on my website, wandawallace.com, my company website, leadership-forum.com, out of the comfort zone.com on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on YouTube, on uh, TikTok. Eventually, we've got that going. Any, <laughs> any of those will find me. And I tell you what, for everybody listening out there, go and write a review on Amazon. Give me a screenshot, send it to me with your email address, and I'll send you a deck of cards. How's that? What? Nice. Look at that. I love it. <laughs> See, because she too knows the magic. At any rate, I I don't really mean that as bribery. I mean that as incentive. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Her name's Wanda Wallace. The book is called You Can't Know It All. Leading in the Age of Deep Expertise. Uh, Go check it out. Get your copy on Amazon. Write a review. Send a screenshot and get a free deck of cards. Wanda, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been fantastic. We'll get all that information into the show notes so that everybody can find you. We are going to do our end of show, funny stuff, good feels. 
and cocktail, you are welcome to stay. But if you have commitments, you are welcome to go as well. I will leave you. you to enjoy. Not that I wouldn't have fun with you, but I'll leave you to socialize <laughs> with each other. Thanks very much, everybody. Awesome. Thank Thanks, Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. That was super fun. <clears throat> Funny things today. These are the things that made Eric laugh. Um, I actually feel bad for kids who grow up having access to unlimited knowledge. It used to be so easy to lie. When I was a kid, someone told me they went to the same synagogue as Sonic the Hedgehog. And honestly, I didn't have enough information to dispute that. <laughs> Funny thing number two, standing behind two teens in line for Jamba Juice. One girl turns her whole body to conceal her phone as she Googles best smoothie to impress goth girl. <laughs> Love is alive in the mall food court, folks. <laughs> but I think number three, I hate the phrase meteoric rise. Doesn't make any sense. Meteors don't rise. They are only famous for falling. I am Neil deGrasse Tyson now. <laughs> uh, uh, <clears throat> fishing. Fishing has got to be one of the only activities that immediately gets worse when you succeed. <laughs> you're just relaxing, enjoying nature, living life. Then your fishing line tenses and it's like, fucking great. Now I have to deal with this shit. <laughs> <laughs> but even funnier, favorite television listing of all time, The Wizard of Oz transported to a surreal landscape, a young girl kills the first person she meets and then teams up with three strangers to kill again. <laughs> and from the topical English category, see that got more eggs attention, English, Prince Charles Cinema. No, we are not changing our name. <laughs> uh, today's Goodville story is an artsy one. I hope you like it. Finally tonight, sometimes the smallest gestures can have the biggest impact on someone else's life. CBS's Steve Hartman found such a story on the road. A few years ago, Melody Morrow of New York City hurt her foot and needed physical therapy. But she says what really made her feel better was paying the bills. You asked for a receipt. Correct. And it comes in the mail. Correct. And what was special about it? On the envelope, on the front of the envelope, it had these little music notes. Her name is Melody, but this is a big health system. Personal touches on billing statements aren't typically their thing. And then it began. Every month thereafter, her payment receipt arrived in the mail. And every month, a new drawing. They started out simple, like this treble clef. But as the months progressed, the envelopes got more and more elaborate. And this was original art created anonymously just for her. Oh my it's hard to even describe. It was incredible. Melody did call her provider, MJHS Health System, and asked if by chance there was anyone in the billing department who was artistic. She says the phone got quiet. And then she heard, hey, Emily, it's for you. <laughs> I'm like, uh oh, what I do now? What were you hoping was going to come from this? I like to make people happy. Accounting clerk Emily Margolis is hardly a frontline caregiver, but she says she can still make people better, and her drawings are her way. <laughs> Melody was so grateful, Emily decided to ramp up her game even further. <laughs> she began taking Melody's mailings home at night and spent hours turning those plain white business wow. envelopes into masterpieces. Then I started adding rhinestones. <laughs> I know I got involved with the gold leaf. That was fun. I had never <laughs> done that leaf. before. Yeah. Where was this going to stop? I, I know how much he had left to pay. <laughs> <laughs> this was the last mailing, oh my but goodness. not the end of the story. Hello. Mwah. Melody and Emily became friends and are now co-curators of an exhibit at this Manhattan coffee shop, showcasing Emily's enveloping creations. Although Melody says what's really on display here is the healing power of kindness. This was a stranger and she was doing that just for me. And that's the beauty of it. A note of harmony. <laughs> Steve Hartman on the road in New York.
So good, right? That's incredible. We got to go to that coffee shop next time we're in New York. Whoever on this call is in New York with me, let's do that. Yeah. I love it. Today's semi-quarantine cocktail is called Gross. And it's a riff on the sewer water, which is a legit cocktail that that involves vodka. Uh, One leaky sewer truck on I-76 in Adams County on Monday afternoon. Five ounces of orange juice. Uh, The sewer truck started to spray from the top of the trailer. Four ounces of Dr. Pepper. The highway was covered in a sludgy brown mess. Gross. As you can see on the front of that car in the photo, sludgy brown mess. Uh, you're going to need a lemon or a lime or just to get out of the area. Um, interestingly enough, the same section of highway was closed exactly a year ago when a truckload of manure was spilled, <laughs> which is why you see Fletch up there talking about that jackknifed manure spreader out on the Santa Ana Let's see my shoes. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Thanks to Wanda Wallace. You are awesome. Hey, Great to see you. Morag, I posted it in the chat just for you. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. If you had a good time and learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again. And remember, you've always got friends at the Corporate Bartender.